Welcome to Unfiltered, an intellectual podcast. All of our content is unfiltered, and we let our conversations flow. I'm C, and my fellow podcaster is M. I have experience in financial services. I work at a top investment manager, and C has experience working for the establishment. And the topics we cover may be a little bit taboo for our industries, which is why we are keeping our identities undercover for now. So welcome to the first episodes of our podcast. And we'll see where it takes us from here. Let's meet the Mooch, otherwise known as Anthony Scaramucci. Meet the Mooch today. <laughs> so this guy graduated from Tufts in uh, 1986. He studied economics, then he went to Harvard Law. A very smart guy, I'd say. Must have done well at Tufts. I would think so if you could get into Harvard. Yeah, for Number sure. Number one law school, I would say, in my books. Yep, not too far away from <laughs> Tufts, right down the street. Yeah, oh, no. Cambridge, <laughs> the, the epitome of... Higher institutional Higher learning. education. is <laughs> <laughs> <He's> spotless. <laughs> so he graduated from Harvard Law in 1989. And then upon graduation, he went to work at Goldman Sachs, the golden era of investment banking. That's some smooth walking right now. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was a, an investment banking analyst at Goldman from 1989 to 1991. One, surprisingly... And just one thing, a quick note about the culture there. Goldman was supposed to be in a golden age of uh, investment banking culture, and it's been talked about quite a bit. Harvard Business Review did a, a piece on it. And um, so I guess those were the golden years. Goldman Sachs may have had, you know, shake up later on, some investor pressures, and it changed a bit. But apparently, some of the best investment bankers were were made uh, during those years at Goldman that he was a part of. So pretty lucky there. Anyway, yeah, as someone who works in the financial services industry, I have to say the '80s was the highlight <laughs> yeah, yeah, <exactly. laughs> when, it, when it comes to finance, you know, especially <laughs> investment banking. There was money to be to be made left and right. Yeah. So be great movies about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think his time there really crafted who the which was. So he worked there until 1991, where surprisingly he was actually fired for his poor performance. And I think it gives that, us hope, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually a Business Insider interview with with the Mooch, and he's talking about you know what he was at Harvard Law and. At, he wanted to go work at Goldman Sachs. You know, this is just the guy who grew up in Long Island, in yeah. Port Washington, and he his goal was to join the global elite. He was in Harvard Law. He wanted to go. Sounds around. like Trump. He wanted to go out and boast about, oh, I got this job at Goldman Sachs. Aren't I this big hotshot? Yep. But the problem was, is that his ego was too big. Right. He was like Icar- even in New York. He was Icarus, <laughs> and he was flying far too close to the sun. That's true. And his wings were melted and burned off. We have to take note of that. When he was fired in '91, <laughs> so this guy, he took some initiative though. He started call- calling up his Rolodex. They didn't have cell phones back then, so this guy was on payphones. Roll, 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 <laughs> roll, 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 have one of his contacts get him a job at Goldman in a different department. So he moved into equity sales. Well and then They he say w- it's a revolving door. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're top talent, uh, they can't really get rid of you. Yeah, sounds like someone else we know. <laughs> <laughs> so he was in the equity sales department, and then he moved into their private wealth management. Goldman Sachs was a behemoth. They were gathering assets like no one else. Yeah. Really top-of-the-line company there. And I think during Learned this time, he really started to gain focus on who he was. He he gave up his idea of wanting to be 
someone who's just seeking status and trying to join the global elite and realize he wanted to do something he was good at. And, Sounds good. And so from here, he left Goldman in 1996 to start a firm called Oscar Capital Management. And they essentially were just managing investments for high net worth individuals. This company was sold to another asset management company in 2001. Yeah, do we know the name of that asset management company? Yeah, Newberger Berman. Oh, okay. Yeah, All they're right. they're big uh, multi-billion dollars of assets under management. Okay. And then in 2005, he went to go start Skybridge Capital. Yeah. The, the now infamous Skybridge Capital that he's trying to sell and the media has made a whole hubbub about it. But essentially what his company was, it's called a hedge fund of funds. He takes, he gathers assets from investors and he invests in it into different hedge funds. He's yeah. had a pretty good career so far on a risk-adjusted basis. He's, he's the money maker of the money makers. That's what I'd say. On, and, I think surprise Trump didn't choose with the treasury. On the bot- <laughs> he's, got, he's got a broad palette. Yeah, he's got a very broad palette. He, yeah. he knows exactly where he wants to invest. Yeah. So if you look at his performance on a five-year basis if, and adjusted for fees and it, on a risk-adjusted basis, he's actually beat the S&P 500, which is a pretty solid accomplishment, especially considering hedge funds are not are under a lot of pressure recently because they charge a ton of fees. The right. joke about fund of funds is that they're called the fees of fees because you're charging fees to manage people's money that's being invested in hedge funds to already charge a lot of fees. But this guy, <laughs> this guy, smart was, man, he's smart, a smart, smart man. man. See, <laughs> see, but the thing the is, like, well, there are a lot of sharks out there who are just stealing assets. He's actually investing money and helping these people grow their assets and yep. still be. It's, the it's a very, it's a very responsible position in society because if you perform, people love you. If you don't perform, I think you're out of the industry, right? Yeah. See, and when it comes to the financial services industry, people are very no BS. Very, they're straight shooters. No. Yep, there's a lot at stake, right? Yeah, no, no one cares. It, when it comes down to it, people care about performance. They don't necessarily care if you went to Harvard or you went to your local community college. That's right. And if you can show performance and a track record of that, they'll respect it. may you. illuminate the promise yeah. of yeah. performance, but if yeah. it tanks your, your investment fund, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no go. So, so, certainly, they'll be more willing to take your call if you went to Harvard Law. So right. I think that helped the mooch a little bit. Yeah, the, the mooch is using it now. He's <laughs> yeah. using that media attention. Yeah. Now, yeah. Dropping, dropping Whatever you got to do, mooch. You know? So now he's grown Skybird into a pretty... Uh, pretty sizable company. He has about $11.5 billion of assets under management, which is very respectable for a hedge fund. But no. what Skybridge is more known for is for their semi-annual SALT conference. This okay. is where they discuss macroeconomic trends and geopolitics. And this really fits into his whole investing style because the way he chooses uh, his investment strategy, which funds to invest in, he takes yeah. a look at the macroeconomic landscape and geopolitics. Yeah. And this is important because that's the geopolitics aspect is different from other hedge funds. Yeah. And I think this is what gives him an edge in investing and also is helping him transition to the political world. Yeah. And we were discussing this earlier, but this is something that I think is really important. So um, when you look at typically the news that's made on television... Um, often the points, the talking points, are were manufactured at think tanks. Uh, they're passed through the political parties for uh, analysis and digestion, and, and then they repeat these uh, ad nauseum on the news. And then the news anchors or the journalists, um, they kind of spar with these talking points at, at various levels. But what you're looking at is always... Um, interested information, information that's produced with a biased political point of view. So if you look at examples, we'll say some call uh, illegal aliens 
by that name. Others will call them undocumented, free trade versus fair trade, pro-life versus pro-choice. It's confusing because everyone's always trying to make something positive out of their message and hiding the negative. So we always get distorted information through this, this uh, uh, medium, which is the media. So a more, in one, one thing one could say, an unfiltered way would be this hedge fund manager way, which is looking at a broad analytical system and trying to understand how it's working truthfully um, so that they can make intelligent, informed decisions, so they can make wise investments that will produce economic growth and therefore benefit their investors. So the way I see Scaramucci is a breath of fresh air when he's, when, he's, when he's speaking because his analytical acumen seems very accurate, and I think that people can feel that, and that's very good for the Trump message, who is kind of a no-nonsense guy, you know, speaking straight truth to people, and, and people love it. Yeah, you make a good point because if you think about it, these think tanks, there's no way to evaluate the quality of their work. Whereas if you look at a hedge fund or any other ad to manager, yep. they have a financial track record. Rationalization after the yeah, fact. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're somehow like, profitable yeah. though. <laughs> well you still see some people doing revisionist history, it's a lot harder because the numbers are the numbers. You yep. either beat the benchmark or you did it. Yeah, you've gotta hide them. Whereas in the yeah. hedge fund industry you better find them. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> Think think tanks can use very esoteric language to try to morph it to make it seem like they were never wrong. And they often do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then once the media gets a hold about it, forget, a hold it, forget, forget about it. But I guess yeah. what we're looking at is Scaramucci, no disrespect to the man. Um, his <laughs> message is a completely different breed from anything else we see in the media. And I think that's that's refreshing and it's honest and we're lucky. I mean, we, we're almost like his investors listening to his information. I think that's a, that's a positive thing because his, his, his analysis is very valuable in financial markets. I would say know? so. You know, it's very valuable because these hedge fund guys are extremely intelligent. I mean, Bridgewater Capital came out with a pretty comprehensive piece of looking at the history of populism. And I think that's nowadays considered a very solid source to get to understand uh, the entire populist movement. Right. But I think what we should also think about is going back to the SALT conference. So this is essentially where they bring in leaders. All, all the top investment managers are going there. You have political luminaries and top speakers include like uh, you got heads of central banks, world leaders, yeah. So, for example, he he's brought in President George Bush, President Clinton, General Petraeus, uh, David Tepper, who's a big hedge fund guy. No network problems. Funnily, he also he also brought in Al Pacino. There you go. There you go. We're getting back to his basics. <laughs> going, going back to his basics is, as, as just an Italian boy who grew up in Long Island. Italian guy from Long Island. You know? <laughs> I'm gonna tell you like it is. <laughs> And, and he's also brought in Mark Cuban, uh, known, known for his hit show Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah, it's a hit show. You know, it's uh, it was competing quite well with The Apprentice, not quite being. Yeah, the yeah. Apprentice, see, but, see, you know, I think competing. Mark Cuban's a little jelly. Just <laughs> had better ratings. <laughs> Trump, Trump just not has quite a, Cuban. You know? Yeah, yeah. President Trump just has a personality that it's hard to turn the TV off when he's on. Yeah, but that's a, it's so fun watching these guys like uh, uh, Trump and Carl Icahn, who is potential for. Set, Treasury Secretary, but it looks like what we're looking at is like this microcosm of an American culture that was there in Brooklyn and Queens. Um, in a particular time, so many wonderful stars came up from that from that area. Uh, but that when they're known for straight talking, they're not known for pulling punches, and it's so refreshing in the media. Which all they did it was it's like everyone's in a straitjacket, you know. And oh. you say anything, you might be died cried down for saying the wrong thing. And then you have these guys, and, and they're just, it's a breath of fresh air. I think people like it. I think it's oh. good television. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, 
with this conference, he's talked to all the top investment managers. He's talked to a lot of these top leaders. Yeah. And so some people get the impression that, like, you take this New Yorker uh, interview, for example, oh, you know, Scaramucci is just some um, high school jock brute. Yeah. But you have to consider the people he's been talking to. But he's he, a short he, guy, right? He, he's he, not that big. He's, he's not, <laughs> it's true. But this guy is very well connected amongst the global elite. He understands yeah, yeah. that you know, if you want to make it in the financial world, you have to have a very high intelligence. That's what we want. See, that's exactly and, what and we his want. his analytical acumen yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, and see, the way he's very similar to Trump, he's, he's a smart guy, and, but he also had he has this incredible knowledge of the business world. Yep. But especially for the Mooch, he had very humble beginnings. He understands yeah, how, the yeah. blue, how the blue collar... And Trump, too, in a different way. You know, he was kind of an upper-middle-class guy, but grew up in Queens, and uh, he was the one that really moved yeah. the family fortune into the limelight in a completely mm-hmm. different way. So yeah. he considers himself self-made, and by yeah. jumping that many levels of society and personal wealth, I think I think he is. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it, to be fair, I mean, President Trump did grow up in, in an up, uh, upper-class family. And, not and, discounting that. Yeah, but he certainly... But he didn't grow up in Trump Tower. No, he did not. He did not grow up in Trump Tower. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still an incredible risk to take, you know, during that time, you know, New York City in the 1970s was going through yeah. bankruptcy. Yeah. No one wanted to build anywhere. Yeah, you gotta was, love that city. He was you a gotta visionary. love that city, man. Yeah, he was, he was a visionary <laughs> when it came to that. And so if you think about it, like, with, with the Mooch, he, he brings this blue-collar, middle-class guy combine it with the, this really smart person who yeah. who's been with the global elite and you know his his conference has been so successful the economist which i would consider a uh, very <laughs> credible source very credible very credible <laughs> incredible actually <laughs> especially recently they, they describe his conference as a davos for the hedge fund world okay it's a conference for the top investment managers to meet with political luminaries Okay, so he knows what's going on. He, under, he, un- man. he understands the system. That's right. He's and a bit different from, I think, uh, Obama's press secretary. I'm not <laughs> sure if he had those connections. <laughs> he probably made it during his tenure there, though. <laughs> yeah, very, very likely. Maybe he worked for the Clinton I think that's a story for another time. <laughs> story for another day. <laughs> yeah, so you, you have this guy who, who, who understands the system very well. And I think that's exactly what the president... Who the president wanted to bring in. So let's think about the people who the president has talking to the media. I think just from a ranking, I would say Sebastian Gorka is probably the most powerful person he has. Yep. Speaking for him. He's a heavyweight. Knock out almost every punch. And let's, let's, let's think about why. This, this guy has a very deep understanding of geopolitics. Yep. Went to the Institute of World Politics yeah. in D.C., not, not the most well-known institute, but very good, very high quality. Very, high, very high quality. And see, I think... He, what's essential for him is that he understands the narrative. Yep, he's got it. He's got it down. He can see right through it. It's important because I think whenever, whenever he goes out and talks to mainstream media outlets, it seems to be like he describes himself as the pit bull for the president. He goes yeah. out, he's a heavy hitter. And so... And by the narrative, we mean the shift, you know? The media yes. is always systematically shifting in a certain direction, and, and Gorka's got that. He's got a, you know, a little spidey sense of some kind of reader, no idea. He knows exactly what the narrative is, and every time they go, they kind of set it up so he can, he can put him off on the narrative, boom, he knocks the ball out of the park. Uh, you know, victory for realism. Anyway. Yeah, and in a sense, like, Gorka understands this, and whether or not you like Breitbart or not, Andrew yeah. Breitbart made a very good point that you know, politics just a derivative of culture. You have to control the culture, and the media downstream has done a great job of controlling 
the culture, at least the culture that you perceive. Yep. It may not be sure. representative of what the what the everyday American perceives Absolutely. as culture. Think about it. It's also like an advertisement, right? So you could have um, a, a TV commercial, right? And sometimes you'll find, or you'll 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 be watching uh, an episode on Netflix, and all of a sudden you see Apple computers all over the place, or Chevy cars, or Coca Cola. Those are simply paid adverts, and they do them subtly so that you kind of you notice something, you associate with the character, and you're expected to emulate that behavior and do the same thing. Um, in this case, you can do it politically, and we see political messaging all the time, right, from all kinds of different ways. There are certain characters you might put into play that wouldn't be there otherwise, and they have certain situations that unfold or dra dramatic situations. Um, and so they're inserting these narratives into television, and over time they accumulate, and we start to look at life uh, like we look at the characters that we probably aspire to be in some way or relate to in some way. And uh, I think it's it, it's very easy, to, and it's very subtle, and people don't realize that. I think people are much more attuned to noticing a Coca-Cola and saying that might be advertising than noticing a character trope and saying that's also advertising. Yeah, they're a little yeah. bit more subtle. You just... Yeah. You know, when you see these advertisements, you just assume that that's common. Yeah. And, and it really starts to enter into your diction. So, for example, I mean, no one calls a tissue a tissue, they'll call, call it a Kleenex. Yeah. And while it's something a little bit more overt with products, when it comes to media messaging, it's a little bit more subtle. Yeah. So it just kind of creeps because in. Because it's so natural, right? It's yeah. just character behavior, and you assume it's spontaneous. Somebody didn't write it with a certain intention in there, you know? Or say you, you know, you want, you're a lobbyist group and you want to promote uh, gay marriage or something. Um, probably one of your best bets would be to fund uh, Hollywood movies or episodes, give them, you know, uh, some kind of investment. And in return, you, you need some kind of character uh, normalization, shall we say. Exactly. You know? So you just see a lot more gay characters doing gay things, and maybe they triumph over uh, the, the evil racist bigots and those kinds of things, you know. And, and so you see a lot of that thing, uh, that, that kind of thing moving in, and it's not always detectable. Although I think a lot of people are sensing it. I think that we're starting to hit a critical mass where people are like, yeah, the movies seem a little bit different today than they did in the 80s. You know, they seemed a little bit more normal and toned down. Now they're, yeah. you know, a hyper... The messaging, I just feel it. You know, it's so strange. <laughs> well, you, you, Sometimes you, a terrible narrative. <laughs> just, the whole thing is a message. It's an infomercial. You know, you certainly don't have Andrew Dice Clay's going around. No Andrew Dice Clay. That's <laughs> a, it's another, how about his messaging? You know, I haven't seen any messaging from that side. You know, I, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that'd they, be entertaining. I'm pretty sure they would banish him. He'd be sent to a little small island in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the narrative that that uh, Gorka, for instance, is completely keyed into. And when he sees that kind of thing, bam, wow, yeah. they're leaving themselves open. Love that guy. Yeah, because if you think about it, the, the media, when you think about movies, that starts to create boundaries of what is considered civil discourse. Yeah, And exactly. most people in polite conversation are not going, are going to... Yeah restrict themselves within those boundaries. Yep. But then you have to start thinking about it, not just first level thinking, you have to go into a second level thinking. Yeah. Why do we have these boundaries? Exactly. And why And who's creating the boundaries and for what purpose? And should know? we be pushing these boundaries? Yeah, exactly. Should we accept them because we didn't create these, these aren't the spontaneous creation of a society if that ever happens, but I think there's some the truth to that. Uh, the, these have been constructed by some narrow powers. Is that a good thing? You know, you yeah. can do it with talk, so, talk show hosts. You bring on you bring on one person. You praise them for whatever they've done. Everyone claps a little. Uh, sign goes on to to clap. Yeah, know, it's the, the 
the applause sign. Yeah, yeah. So you got this cultural, you know, this social uh, normalization of anything. And then somebody that they don't like, that they want to show this is off limits, they bring them in and everybody boos and hisses and some audience member starts a fight. You know, and it's just this kind of thing really uh, makes people feel, because this is a replication of reality, and they're probably exposed more to this uh, than they are to their normal reality. And just another point is, there are hundreds of thousands of people seeing, maybe billions of people seeing the same thing, so they all relate on that level, whereas when they're talking to their families or their coworkers, those are unique individual experiences, so it's much easier to relate on those common things that you've seen. So they have incredible power in, in, in kind of organizing what's permissible within society. So if people feel a bit stifled in the land of the free, I mean, I think that's the, look, look to the, the television screen or the computer monitor as the greatest uh, normalization uh, strategy, uh, tool that's being used, and... Uh, you have to think about it. Humans... Well, yeah, I want to be free. <laughs> I want to be free. Humans prefer the path of least resistance. So yeah. if you bring on a guest and you'll have them cheering for them, they'd be like, okay, yeah, obviously I should be supporting them. Yeah. And if you have a guest who you're trying to paint a negative light, yeah. you'll have them, the audience Strike group. fear into the, and then, the person. And, yeah. and your viewer, if they want to follow the path of least resistance, which is probably common, they're yeah. going to go along with uh, whatever your consensus opinion is. Yeah. It requires a little bit more of critical thinking to understand why are they painting this person in such a light, and that's what you are need. they correct? That's what you need, and I'm not sure if that's common, but I think in a society like this, if we don't change it structurally, as human beings that want to live in a free, democratic society, we have to learn to have that second layer of analysis, or else we'll never be able to, to participate, uh, you know, reasonably. We'll always be kind of led along. That's why they're being called sheeple, right? They, I think they, so. They heard it along. I mean, I would think as, as Americans, we pride ourselves in our ability to think critically. As humans, our, I would say, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a nice thing. Our, I mean, you, okay, we, we were talking about Harvard Law before. Yeah, we're going to bring our, it back to the subject. We are. It's going to fit our, in. Our, our, our top institutions pride themselves on teaching their students on how to think critically. That's, that's right. what That's what sets the West apart Absolutely. from other, other cultures. 100%. This is ability incredible to think respect. critically. Yep, an incredible respect for educational institutions and the, and the open philosophical mind that's very much a Western tradition, happens in other cultures, nowhere near as prolific um, and on, on such a long time scale. And that it's, it's a wonderful thing. And, you know, and people love it. That's why it's part of the reason a lot of people come to the West. Uh, I think that contributes to a lot of other good things. But uh, I was scared to see that slipping away, you know. We don't, we don't want to live in a world without that. And forget it. Absolutely. Forget it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that, that's why when, when the Mooch comes out with, uh, you know, like this interview with yeah. the New Yorker, that was just, that's, in one sense, you can consider it like a sucker punch just into the, into the face of the media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a black guy there and they're bloodied because they No more censorship. It. We're breaking out. No yeah. more bricks because in the wall, you, you, would, you would have expected, okay, Scaramucci, he ran a successful hedge fund. He comes in in his first uh, press conference. He's very polished. He's yeah. handling the media very well. Yeah. And then... A couple of days later, he calls he Ryan. It. He calls Ryan Liz a, a yeah, New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the badge of authenticity, right? Yeah. You, you try to be polite and courteous, then you get ripped apart. Yeah. You're either gonna go quietly into the night, or, yeah. or, or you're gonna be fight about it. And yeah, that's, see, that's the real. See, see, I think many in the media thought that Scaramucci would be more of a known entity after the first press conference. Yeah. After the New Yorker article, they don't know nice what too. to expect. Yeah, true, true. He's unpredictable. He's, he's unpredictable, he's right? unpredictable, and I think that's what President Trump liked. Yeah. Him. Agreed. Agreed. It's, it's a very important skill to have because uh, yeah. if, you, if you want to outmaneuver um, who you, who they consider part of their enemy is yep. some of these mainstream media outlets. That's right. You have to be unpredictable. Yeah. 
if, well, if you're in a boxer or something, you're studying the other guy's strategy so that you can find out what he does so you can think a step ahead of him. And so if he has combination A, B, C, you can prepare with A, B, C, D, etc. Um, and that's exactly what we're looking at. We're looking at competition. The news doesn't want to see Trump in office. Everything they do is to take him. It's so obvious. It, it, Everybody can see it now. You know? Yeah, I mean... But we're in a battle there. Yeah, I think especially because if you just compare presidencies, sure... Media outlets will always have a little portion of time dedicated to being critical, even of candidates they like, just so that they can do a CYA to say that, oh, we are fair and balanced. Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. But you, you, have, to, you have to understand... Everybody's fair and balanced, right? <laughs> yeah, everyone's yeah. fair and balanced. I always have my CYA. We get to analyze how much time is being allocated to certain topics. Yep, and, uh, that's one way yeah. to find out how yeah. fair and balanced they are. And see, that I think that's what people criticize about President Trump's term is that you know the narratives is so important, yeah. and it seems to at least many people who watch and read consume media is that he hasn't been able to control the narrative as well yeah. as some people thought. Right, and yeah. which is why I think it's a good. And thing. You're talking about Trump. Yeah, right. talking about President Trump and his but just administration. The thing, the, if we look at the comparisons, um, nobody else has ever that I know have been able to control the media that hasn't had the blessing of the media I- itself. You know, the Democrats would often produce the media, the the narrative, and the Democrat the media would go along with it, and there's no resistance. But anyone who resisted it would typically be branded racist, homophobe, that type of thing. Exactly, you know? and they would be booted out. And almost nobody. I mean, Chris Christie tried a little bit. He had some success. The Sheriff Joe. But, but the problem with Chris Christie. <laughs> Is that now he's considered a joke? <laughs> Chris Christie had a hard time, right? Yeah. But he tried to battle them in a different asymmetrical way, which happened to be somewhat from that, you know, those boroughs of New York region. It's New Jersey, but similar culture, similar combative, you know, style. Uh, don't like the nonsense and their confrontation. So some New Yorkers might disagree with you on that. Of course they would, but, you know, we're 3,000 miles high, or three, you know, mile high, we're looking down, it's similar. It's certainly not like Idaho, you know, or Singapore. <laughs> so there's some real relationship. Yeah, there. yeah, they're, they're, they're like Cousins. Yeah, they're related. They have a style doing business, right? It's to be expected. They're close proximity. But um, so we've, we've got that going on. Yeah, so we, the Mooch is a very interesting person to bring on because he comes in and he's commanding of the narrative. Yeah. If, you, if you look at his interviews, especially the one uh, after the New Yorker article, I think he was talking to Chris Cuomo on uh, CNN. And he, yeah. he immediately goes in and says, Chris, I'm going to talk for a few minutes, and then you can ask me some questions later. And, you know, Chris tries to, uh, in a sense, try to penetrate through the, the, frame all, that the offense said. and the frame right. that, that he just said. But yeah. the mooch is talking in such a manner that there's no ability for, him to, for Chris to pierce his yeah. frame. And he's respectful. And I think he's uh, respectable, and so you know, uh, he he's being uh, social in a way that one can't dismiss him. You know, he has a sense of authenticity, a hu- humanness that people can relate to, and including the anchors and some of those more rigid characters that come in with a bunch of rhetoric. It's much easier yeah. for them to be dismissed by the anchors, and that's yeah. that's what makes them so yeah. tangible. Trump has the same quality. See, even even know? though even though the Mooch and Chris Cuomo don't get along, yeah. Mooch says, "I'm Italian, you're Italian." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we want to done subito, Chris. <laughs> we done you know, subito. I know, I know. It means quickly. <laughs> Correct the moon, though, Chris. <laughs> See, the Mooch is able to still, even though he's talking to someone who are, they're probably not friends, he's still able to make a bridge, which Absolutely. is important because. If you want to, and he tries. And he tries because if you want to bring people onto your side, yep. you have to 
give him an olive branch. Give good him a faith. bridge. He has good faith. Yeah, there has to be He's a way for them to faith. move over. You can't just create your own little canyon here and expect them to fly over. Can we once admit, or can we once agree that the media has treated a, a member of the Trump administration, forget the rest of the Republicans, with uh, good faith? You know, good faith yeah. start out. I, yeah, I don't see it. I, I don't mean, see it. I mean, it seems like they're trying to slam him, but I think the Mooch is dealing with it in the oh, best, best he can. Yep. I, I mean, I, my point is, it's just a bit asymmetrical because the Mooch and most of the Trump admin, they start with good faith, try to be very amiable, mm-hmm. and then they get mowed down by the press, and then the kind of the social contract breaks down a little bit. Yeah, but exactly. uh, I think it's a virtuous thing to start out with good faith and good, all the credit to them because they know that they're going to get smashed right off the bat, but they're still doing the right thing. That's what people should do. Enter I, I would say so. I, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm happy with the way Mooch has been able to interact with the media. Still, yeah. still kind of be friends with them, but still getting, getting a punch here or there. Yeah, so we love it. It's entertainment, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And the other thing I want to say is it bucks the narrative. Like, And I think Trump has been incredible in bucking the narrative. You know, every time a scandal comes out, he's always able to manage it. And that's something that the narrative... Uh, the news is trying to create the narrative, and that's something that's so sensational that they attach to and they cover, but they don't have the kind of gravitas that, that Trump has in a certain way in order to uh, manage the narrative. So the narrative is literally being taken from them and passed through them, and but now the Trump administration is doing it, and I think all of these little shocks to the system... Um, even if they're little battles, and even if they're not going to win the war right away of getting fair coverage, which is exactly what they're looking for, um, they're, they're shocking the, the media in such a way uh, that they have to res- respond in a, fa- in, a, in a good way. It's just like when you exercise and you do different things. You shock the body, so. body must respond. It, and and uh, Scaramucci has a wide arsenal of tools. So you have one side who maybe some uh, more common, working-class people can, can relate to his type of humor and, and anger in a sense in his New Yorker article but then you yeah. also have a very smart and witty yeah. Scaramucci he, he did an interview with the BBC and you know the, the Brits are very known for their wit and their ability to in some sense run run mental circles especially around their American counterparts yeah, having spent quite a bit, a bit of time in the UK and uh, I can I can agree with that yeah <laughs> <laughs> But when, when Scaramucci goes out and does an interview, he understands that. He he addresses the issue bluntly. He yeah. says, you know, I know I know you as the British prefer to have wit and more subtlety when it comes to your politics, but here in America, and especially for me, I don't like backstabbing. I like front yeah, stabbing. The odds of X likes the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> Not likes the British. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That that's certainly true. And see, when he addressed that initially, that, in a sense, diffused some of the defenses that that the British journalist had. And, and as you see, the interview goes on. He he's he's amiable to her. He, he's they accept he, us as a cute American nephew. Oh yeah, yeah. well yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, and so, as Miley and Elpha says, yeah, it's our American cousin. It didn't quite come out right, but we we love it anyway. Yeah, it, it, even if she had the intention of being condescending towards him. He kind of, he broke that down a little bit and had her laughing with him. He took control of that conversation, yeah. which I think is important. If you're going to be able to build your own narrative and have your narrative win, you have to control the conversation. Absolutely. what you did. And that's life, right? I mean, you have a discussion with anybody, and you maybe you have an argument with your significant other, and it's difficult to agree on the facts, you know? And it's really about framing, and, and unfortunately, it'd be nice if we're all philosophers and looking for, for pure reason, looking for the truth of all matters... 
But unfortunately, people have interests, and they like to obscure the truth one way or another. In that case, the, the ability to, to, to frame a narrative becomes very important. Yeah. It's just an unfortunate reality we have to deal with. And if you think about the great leaders in business and politics, yeah. they always have the ability to command the conversation. When they walk into a room, people know that they have entered. Yeah. Scaramucci embodies that. I'm sure. People know when he's entered a room or entered Aviator a conversation. Aviator glasses and all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he owns a few pairs. Uh, quite a few. <laughs> but he probably knows Ray Ban. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the Mooch is also interesting. So he, it seems like he's changed his look a bit. So when he did his first press conference, right. he had his hair slicked back. Yeah, his Wall Street. <laughs> might have had the stripes. Could have been in my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> might have been scoring a cigar when he entered the yeah, press yeah. conference. <laughs> it's all the image. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a presentation. <laughs> and now his hair is all clean, nice Washington guy. Yeah. You know, he's <laughs> overnight. He, see, you know, he's he's there trying to uh, to sweep out the parasites who are, who are leaking all this information. And yeah. if he has a slick back hair, he seems like this big, you know, angry person. He's foreign. He seems David. like a foreign, foreign in Washington. And that's perfect because he made a point about uh, – uh, What's happening now is it's like an organ transplant. He made this analogy. Um, and what happens, the first thing that the body does is when there's an organ transplant is it rejects it. Even though that this organ is necessary for the survival of the body, the immune system rejects it. And that's exactly what's happening. So I think one of the features of trying to get that immune system acceptance for a transplant that's necessary for what one could say is potentially a dying republic or a declining republic um, is that he has to convince the immune system to sort of treat the organ transplant as a part of the body. And one way to do that is to change the appearance. Um, another way to do that is to develop a good relationship. And then hopefully over time, I think the, the, the good results and the progress will put a pressure both from the executive branch and from the, the populist uh, movements of the people on Washington to kind of convince the immune system he needs to take a step back and chill out. There needs to be some changes I in would, I would say so, especially, <laughs> especially when, when the president has uh, changed his messaging from drain the swamp to drain the sewer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the mooch needs to uh, bathe himself in sewage. The mooch is doing that. The mooch is he's getting right into the, into the thick of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he's, he's like a public utility worker going, going yeah. into, into, into And he's the got sewer. That, that early Goldman Sachs teamwork mentality, which is wonderful. He sees everyone as a team, somewhat equals to serve the the president, um, but the team has to work, and if it doesn't work, he's he's quite severe about it. He's like the Carl Icahn yeah. corporate yeah. raider, you know, yeah. fire everybody. Yeah, see, you know? see, it's the idea of loyalty, yeah. and it's a two-way street loyalty, so the Mooch is loyal to uh, the president and his colleagues, yep. um, and in return, uh, the president has given Scaramucci loyalty. We need loyalty, folks. Loyalty is a good thing. It's a virtue. Whatever yeah. happened to loyalty? Yeah, especially considering, you have to consider the environment they're in. Whatever is said in the White House is getting leaked to many media organizations within minutes. With ma bad intentions. Yes, with probably nefarious intentions. In at re least some. Re regardless if it's classified information or not. Yeah. If we're going to talk about intent. Yeah. Uh, we need to be a unified force, you know. Exactly. Uh, di di divided one crumbles and unified, you know, this, this yeah, see, has to be. If you divided think about conquer it, isn't a phrase for nothing. If you think about it, you know, a great civilization usually, it's very difficult to defeat them militarily externally. Yeah. But it's very easy to make the empire crumble internally. And I think that's a strategy that some people who oppose this administration are using. You know, if you have all these leaks, it makes it seem you have a White House in disarray. You don't know who you can trust. And that's why loyalty becomes even more of a valued 
Oh, we trait. need it. I think we always need it, but we need it especially in times of crisis, right? And what I worry about is that the news media is trying to write a history that people in the future will look back and say, wow, that was a pretty messed up period. And hopefully during that time, uh, and they hope to capture the narrative so that when they and their value system has achieved predominance, uh, any kind of historical memory will be revised and people will look back and read the media or the New York Times and say, wow, what a mess that was. How did anybody accept that? You know, yeah. when, when it was the political rise of the century, you know, it was the most populous wave we've ever experienced. And I'm sure maybe maybe Reagan, but not even close. You know, I, would I don't think, think so. Pe- people, this is, I think this is a revolutionary fervor. You know, I'm sure George Washington with the with the loyal revolutionaries had maybe this kind of feeling and a bit of fear going against yeah, the British th- Empire. This is a movement yeah. that I think many intellectuals did not see coming. No, no, the establishment, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the swamp that he's talking about. I would say it's so. Stead's father. Stead's <laughs> far. It develops many properties. Yeah. I, I mean, I would consider us to have some establishment backgrounds, but I think yeah. besides that, we... It, we still have to... Good things about the establishment, too. There are good well things. Well-run and it's, intelligent. It's, it's very well-run, a lot of intelligent people, but I think yeah. it's very easy to get stuck into groupthink. It's Oof. a very very terrible human bias. It's almost impossible to, to anno- avoid, right? Yeah, you have, to, you have to think about the other people who live in your environment. Yep. Maybe you live in a gated community. Maybe the people yeah. who live in your region. <laughs> yeah, but you can also be... I think you can also be very respectful to other people. Um, and you can have your own opinion, you can respect contrary opinions, um, and that's a possible outcome. But I think a lower form of communication uh, is that you get into the group think, whereas opinion, foreign opinions are host- considered hostile and they're suppressed or repressed or anything. Um, and that, that's an unfortunate situation that I think a lot of this American establishment has fallen into. And that's part of the, the problem. We need to revive yeah. that and get to a higher level of civilization where people engage in mutual respect and they're allowed to grow as individuals and to think and to climb the trees of knowledge and not just be given the pathway. And it's a horrible existence, you know, it's a totalitarian existence. It's not, it's I, not self-actualizing. I would say so. I think it's very easy to co- go into a consensus opinion. So I think, for example, if you take this into the financial world, uh, criticism that people sometimes have of Wall Street banks is well they're producing their research every bank is a very similar position especially for example you know the Federal Reserve is uh, increasing interest rates and so many of these banks all have very similar positions as to okay this is when the Federal Reserve is going to hike interest rates and for X, Y, and Z reasons. Right. And it's, Sounds like the news media. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to distinguish. So this happens in, in one section of life in the Wall Street banks. You yeah. have this in the political establishment. Right. You probably have this uh, when it comes to journalism and yeah. media narratives. Yeah. And then what happens is that bias starts to accumulate over time. And everybody en masse is going in the wrong direction based on what the environment demands as, as right action. And, um, and then, so then you have these massive distortions in perception versus reality, but people are acting on the perception, not on the reality. And then that bubble eventually bursts and you have a crisis and people are forced in a very traumatic period, which is not the best time to handle a problem. You should be fresh and capable. And that's a good time to, to tackle a problem. Uh, once they're on their backs, then they have to be open to this new reality, which has become too omnipresent to ignore and they have to adjust and that's a crisis welcome to our political environment welcome to the we, you know, congress can't act we need to be a little more quicker a little more sophisticated <laughs> in navigating this kind of thing you know so we don't get that it's amazing <laughs> Go off the cliff it's amazing that congress won't act not even congress in the state and local governments won't act until they're really put against the wall 
Yeah, yeah. Make it or break it. That that's it. That's the only time they'll really make the change. That it I might think. be a bit of laziness too, you know. They just go along with their political expediency, whatever's easiest to get reelected. Unfortunately, that isn't coincident with good governing values and. Absolutely. See, I, that's that's a big problem with having, the, in the sense, like this is type of elective repre- uh, representation. Well, I think it's probably one of the one of the best forms of governance for the West. The issue is that unless you have politicians who are actually committed to doing the right thing, they're not going to, let's say, vote on certain bills, for example, like raising taxes or cutting taxes, uh, maybe making reforms on just certain programs because it's going to be politically unpopular amongst Absolutely. some of their constituents. And think about it. You know, we live in a democracy. One of the critical uh, roles of government is to have provide infrastructure. That should be ongoing and continuous. We should always have very nice infrastructure because we always pay tax. The tax is ongoing and say- continuous. But for a politician, it's a lot easier to let the roads go for another decade and then to put money into a social program or something that will get you guaranteed voters than to produce new roads, which, which is it's more difficult to sell. It's not sexy. It's not moral. It's very easy to say, oh, well, I'm helping X and I'm helping Y and these kids and these women. You know, it sounds good. Other people like it. You create dependence often because you're transferring money. And so I think over time, people just move away from the fundamentals of government. And we have crumbling infrastructure and things aren't looking very good. Mm-hmm. And they go into these alternative election programs, which probably aren't very good in themselves, a completely different analysis, but I'm willing to bet they're not beneficial to the country or the taxpayer in general. Uh, and then we just go right off course. And I, and I think nothing's correcting us. The Supreme Court should, but it's not, it doesn't seem to be functioning well enough. And I think that what's happening, in some cases, and what's anyway. happened, is the result of, in sense, this political laziness. I think normal everyday Americans see this, and this is why a lot of them voted for President Trump. Absolutely, they, they wanted a shock to the system to say, "Hey, yeah. politicians, we elected you to actually do something for us. Yeah. We don't necessarily." like the government in every aspect, but we understand, you know, there's some purpose for the government, but in return for paying taxes, we expect you to, you know, make sure our roads are maintained, make sure our infrastructure is good, yeah. our kids are being educated, yeah. and I think... Our neighborhoods that, are safe, we have job opportunities, which is not necessarily the role of government, but uh, Trump is certainly, it, it is when you talk about uh, tariffs and, you know, international trade policy and that kind of thing, regulations. Yeah, and, and so people see that and they want... That, that's what they expect from their government. And that's what their hope is with President Trump. And so that was President Trump's goal when he came to Washington. Yeah. And he realized, I think, that you know his communication staff wasn't necessarily on point when it came to messaging. So he wanted, I think he wanted someone who has a humble beginning, yep. was able to elevate himself socially and financially. He dominated the business world, especially when it came to the financial He's industry. Winner. He's a winner. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But he understands the struggles that many middle-class families went through. Absolutely. And, and I, he speaks in a way that they can understand. Exactly. That, yeah. That's what's so important. And, and not only that, I think that, you know, the working class, a normal person, they respect someone who has been able to take themselves from relatively humble beginnings yep. and... It's the American Become dream. Become a winner. It's it's like seeing the little guy win. That's the American dream. That's the American dream Outside right there. Outside of a, a feudal system, a caste system, a class system, you name it. You know, like American dream has always been that if you work hard, you can enjoy the fruits of your labor and you can succeed. And these guys all embody that. 
Exactly. Like, that's amazing. People are not as impressed if you know you're you're the child of a very wealthy family who is very. I can respect it. I can find them wonderful people, but yeah, the, it's that's like, the narrative, it's, American narrative. But it's I I frame that in more of a relative standpoint. Oh, right, people yeah. ex- would expect someone who was born to a wealthy family of very high social status that's to right. succeed in life. Yeah. Whereas the the little guy may have a much harder chance. So when yeah. the little guy is able to. Break, break, break the ceiling into the next level of yeah. social status. That seen as quite an accomplishment. Absolutely, and we all want that. You know, you know, the majority of the people uh, living on Earth are not living in elite circles, and no. and most people desire to have a better life. You know, and the American dream was always the shortest, fastest way to get it, as long as you worked hard and you're fair and all that stuff. Like that, that was. That was why people wanted to come here. <laughs> you know, yeah, these guys so. are now that. I and the news so. media is criticizing this fundamental and critical aspect of, of American history and culture and identity. And um, I think it shows a bit about who they are. Yeah, you know? and that's probably why polling is not so great for some of these media yeah. organizations. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I think yeah. I think what unites people is uh, complaining about the government. So Congress has very low approval ratings. They're probably <laughs> complaining about the media now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's not the heart transplant that's foreign. Maybe that's the real thing, right? And the foreign part is the media that's attacking it. And that's what the immune system has to attack. Call your congressman. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that that's very true, but I, so I think because the mooch embodies this humble beginnings and the success, and he's very witty and he knows how to control the narrative. I think you know we've only seen him for what less than a week now. Yep. Oh, but we've seen a lot of him, haven't we? We've seen a lot of him, <laughs> <laughs> and so I think if you take his his background and what he's done thus far, I think that Scaramucci is going to prove himself as a. Very high ROI, very high return on investment for President Trump. I think so. I think he's already done it. Um, and I think you mentioned something recently about um, uh, there are quite a few, uh, the Democrat political platform, you know, they, they've been moving through. Uh, I guess what I mean to say is that when these news stories come out, they dominate any other news that would have been up and coming. And since they're narratives that can be controlled by uh, the president or, you know, his communication director, um, they, they take the baton from the media and they place it into the executive office, into the White House. Um, and that's a very good thing for the American narrative if you're of such an opinion that the White House is doing the best that it can to make America great again, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? and, and it's, I think it's very hard for the media to ignore whatever comes out of the White House. Yep. And so, what, what some might say, you know, the media is controlled by uh, the left or the Democrats, but even when the, the Democrats try to uh, push out their new economic agenda, as much as I would have liked to push that, the media is so addicted to whatever is happening in, with President Trump or the White House that they can't, they can't ignore that. They have to cover it 24-7. And so... It ends up backfiring in a sense. And slander it. All they do is slander it. And you can see this, right? I remember watching a Spicer report uh, or a Spicer briefing. And um, they'll ask him a terribly framed question. And he'll respond in a very direct, typical Spicer way. Um, and they get very frustrated with the answer because they were trying to lead. Did, did, was, he, was he answering when he behind didn't the take bushes? The bait, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
We didn't nibble on that little piece of mouse food and get, you know, get the trap. The reporter's upset, you know, and writes down. He's like, and, come on, spicy. Yeah, and writes down in her, in her iPad, uh, in, in her iPhone, and, and what is sending probably a headline in the beginnings of a story. And about 25 minutes later, I see that scrolling on my uh, news aggregator. Um, like uh, yeah. And boom, there's a story by that reporter that I just watched the exchange. And if I was just reading the story, I'd be like, wow, the White House is in quite a conflict. How about that? Wow. But when you see the origin of that story, you realize that this is just one individual who has a vendetta, who is one of many individuals with the same mentality, that has a vendetta against this guy, and they're producing what they call fake news. And I think while well, Spicy did, a, did an okay job, I think the Mooches has spent more time studying this and... I think it's just a better ability yeah, to, to counter when people try to move him into a certain yeah. frame. He'll say, no, 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 we're going to discuss this in my frame. Spicer was like a guard, you know, <laughs> to the kingdom with a big shield, yeah. you know, and uh, he was just bouncing people off the shield. He wasn't very graceful about it, but just do it. Maybe it's a lot of fun because the, the media is used to a polished guy, yeah. you know, and, and so you put this guy in there and he's, you know, just disruptor. Yeah. Uh, but I think we can expect much more dimensionality from... Yeah, uh, yeah. From, from yeah. The, the, the Mooch is kind of like the, the king's knight. He goes out and fights the battles. The Mooch battles. is jousting. He, he the leads. Mooch is, he's, is fully dimensional. He can <laughs> offense, defense, you know? He, he's he, interesting to watch while he's doing it. Yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's leading the war against uh, some, some mainstream media outlets. Yeah. He's thoughtful and he's independent yeah. too. And yeah. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, but you know? he's a team player. He says, you know, I, ha- I have my own opinions, but... I work for the president, I work yep. for the American people, and I will su- subvert and subdue my, my opinions yep. uh, in favor of, you know, what is the message that the White House is trying to push out here. Yep. And he's allowed to be himself, and I think yeah. that's a good thing. That's yeah. what people think. And it creates a parallel character, a new epic to the story that with Spicer, he was good, but you didn't really feel drawn into his character and his charisma, you know, and I think uh, the, the, the Mooch will, will do this much better. Um, and, and it's just now you're looking at an additional point source for this kind of narrative that we believe to be true and to be a good one. And the more this proliferates with individuals, I think the more legitimacy and gravitas it gains. You know, so I think I think he's a great choice as usual. I'm very happy with this. this Trump. I, it's amazing what we see going on in the White House. It's really. I would, I would say so. You know, Scarabucci is not just a yes man, but part of being a team player is you know. If you don't like an opinion, you will go to whoever is running your team and say, you know, I disagree with about this uh, position you have, sir. Uh, you probably will debate it, but at the end of the day, you want to be a good team player. And his That's job right. is to help uh, improve the messaging and get the message out yeah. there that the White House exactly. is crafting. It's subtle. And he does that. Yeah, it's subtle, but you can yield. You can maintain a different point opinion and yet yield and carry out the objectives of your leader and do that faithfully, do that honorably, and do that effectively and still have a different opinion. And that is is proper loyalty. That That's a, how a proper organization is to work. It doesn't. It shouldn't mean. It shouldn't be so coarse. One shouldn't be so coarse as to assume if you have a different opinion, you must act to subvert uh, that person who you're working for. I think that's a ridiculous notion. Yeah. And this is an example of a finer, finely tuned organization that it's, it's brand new. It's been thrown together, but it's it's working in, in a more cohesive way than you know than other administrations and you know what the news media typically assumes has to be the case. 
If you disagree, we're going to draw that wedge so that you never shake hands again. Yeah, may, may, it's terrible. Maybe Scaramucci learned how to uh, argue from both sides when he took a trial law class at Harvard Law. Yeah, with yeah. the Lawrence tribe. Yeah. <laughs> you got an A-minus in that class, I think. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Good for him. You know, that's a good grade, but I'm hoping that we can give Scaramucci an A at the end of his tenure. Yeah, I think we'll give him an A. Great inflation and ogre inflation, I think he deserves an A. I, I would think so. And with the Trump administration, I think great inflation is right out the window. Man. You gotta work hard. You'll flunk out. But that's okay. And that's one of the cool the one more cool thing that I think is amazing about his administration is that like there are quite a few aspects, but one is rotating people and giving them good, you know, having golden parachutes in such a way, you know, you speak well about them, you try to help them out with other jobs, it's not contentious, I think that's wonderful, but you keep revolving, we did saw this with campaign directors, you keep revolving the faces the media sees so it's fresh, it's like a new character in, in an epic. I mean, we don't get interested in your, it's always a moving target, so the media is always trying to nail people to the cross, but you, you, you get to keep them on their toes when you have new personalities to contend with, with new histories, new backgrounds, yeah, new perspectives. It's, it's, a, it's a new adversary you have to evaluate, yeah. so you're not sure what types of tactics they have. Yeah, totally, exactly, they're brand new, and they, and they get those eyeballs, viewers yeah. want to see, oh, who's this new guy? Yeah, remember, you know? Pre- President Trump is described as a fighter, this is a sparring match for yeah. him, and, yeah. and you know, the more, the more you try to back him into a corner, the more he's going to... Uh, throw throw out jabs left It'll and right. Turn out, you'll be in the corner that. pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? yeah. <laughs> He's gonna turn around and put you right in the corner. I'm not advocating for violence, but as an analogy, it's like you're you sports analogy. Yeah, yeah, sports analogy. You know, yeah. he backs you in the corner, and then you realize, oh, you you have a bloody nose and a black eye, and you yeah. didn't know where that came from. That's right. Yeah, all right. Just like the CNN memes, they're so accurate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they definitely done a good job with that. And the other thing I think you can expect in the Trump administration, which is interesting to watch, is if you watch The Apprentice. He's always uh, getting high-quality talent and pitting it against one another. Whether that's the most effective business practice remains to be seen. Um, I don't consider myself an executive like Donald Trump, so far be it for me to second-guess yeah, yeah. the effectiveness <laughs> of that. But that is his style, and one yeah. can identify that. And so I think when you see these conflicts between uh, the Mooch and, uh, and Priebus... Who, who's um, no longer the White House. Who's no longer there. He, He's no longer there. He brought in General Kelly, who is uh, I would probably consider has probably a very bright mind when it comes to military strategy. Yeah. And, you know, he's probably going to apply this military strategy to... Uh, to politics. We need a shake-up. We'll see what happens. Well, and, it's and too I'm early sure, to tell. And I'm sure, you know, the, the military teaches people is about discipline. That's and right. I'm pretty sure that That's General, not a bad thing. <laughs> General Kelly as the chief of staff is certainly going to enforce yeah, discipline. <laughs> <laughs> the White House leakers are probably going to well, oil machine. chirp a little bit less. <laughs> it's going to make it hard if I'm yeah. seeing CNN to continue yeah. peddling the narrative. Yeah. You know? yeah, just a little bit more challenging. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no WD-40 for their change. Yeah. But yeah, the thing is with Trump is you see a lot of that kind of pitting against one another, and um, I think that's fascinating to watch, you know. And isn't isn't and that healthy? And you know, we consider intellectual debate or higher institution pr- promotes. You know, you should be able to listen to differing opinions, yeah. analyze it, and then come up with your own position, which I think yeah. is President Trump's strategy of how he comes to his. Decisions. And I think he likes fighters. I think he likes to see a particular quality of willing to do combat with adversaries or colleagues, whatever it is, and, and to c- succeed in a way that's ethical, because if you're not ethical, it will boot you right out. That happened a few times in The Apprentice. Um, but that you can succeed in, co- in, in a battle, you know, and I think exactly. that's a value that Trump respects, and that's one value that he's kind of cu- nurturing in this, this approach. 
Other people might take other approaches. I, I think the point is that uh, Trump has been, is a winner. He's been successful, and therefore uh, he's in the White House. And I think the most fascinating thing for me is just watching how he does it because it's so curious, and it's, it's quite unique and personal, and it's, and it's extraordinarily effective. Uh, yeah, it's amazing yeah. having this yeah. window. Yeah. You know? yeah <laughs> even through see, the CNN see, lens. Yeah, even through the, yeah, yeah. the bended lens <laughs> of media. Yeah, you really get to have a really deep insight as to how President Trump operates his ship. Yeah. You don't necessarily see it when he was, was a businessman. Sure, they glamorized him. Now you have 24-7 right. yeah. magnifying glasses. Yeah. What is President it's Trump so doing? so transparent. Yeah, which is it's, it's interesting so, to see yeah. how he's, he's For a curious analyst or historian yeah. or something, <laughs> man, you, you eat your heart out. Yeah. And you I, can I, do I, it from home. You can do it from yeah. the couch. And, and, and it's, it's really... Uh, Amazing to see this because the people voted for someone to bring a shock to the system. That's exactly what President Trump has done. Yeah, and, it's, and it's interesting, to, you know, the past you know, six months has been very fascinating. And uh, I'm looking forward to the remainder of his term, yeah. maybe, maybe two terms. Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think two terms should be pretty easy. Um, I think he's been very successful in his program. I think the media has completely embarrassed itself. Um, I think uh, the immigration aspect is significant, uh, especially with uh, illegals. It's a contentious issue, I think, for unrealistic reasons. Um, so I think all of these things will show that if he was able to obtain a majority last time, uh, he'll be able to exceed that majority this time. I would think so. I, so. I think he could, uh, as long as he uh, keeps his message and delivers yeah. on his promise to the people, I think he'll be able to... He doesn't. Uh, he's not a choker. We, yeah. We've seen that. Yeah, you know? he's, yeah he's not... He doesn't he's miss not the a puck choker. at yeah. the last moment. You know, some guys have a great game yeah. and they can't sink the final putt. He sinks the putt. Yeah. You know, and, that's and what he says. Yeah. That's what he does. And I understand, you know, our colleagues uh, on the left, uh, maybe even on the right, may not necessarily agree with uh, President Trump. Uh, but, you know, I think... And then maybe hopefully it doesn't win his second term. But I think if he continues to uh, win his small battles here and there, the voters are going to love that about him. I agree. And I just wish a lot of people have such unrealistic bias that comes from that, you know, party news media continuum uh, of disinformation. uh, And they really emotionally charge people to be hostile to the other team, you know. Uh, and so people have an emotional response to President Trump that's extremely negative, and they can't get behind it. And I think that's the biggest thing that I think we need to just get beyond it, whether you like him or not. I mean, he's it, you should watch him. You should be interested. And, and really, I mean, critical thinking skills, guys. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to dig yourself out of that hole. We don't want to be polarized by forces beyond our control and motivated and manipulated by external factors we want yeah. to be you know independent and do things we want to do yeah. and so just, i love people to get beyond that and make your own opinion and if you still don't like trump well that's your perspective and yeah. i'd like you to have a great explanation yeah. and i'd be interested in hearing it that's fine you know but maybe i shouldn't be giving advice to people on the left but i think if you we elevate this discourse to you know keeping it to the issues and having a critical discussion yeah, as to be fair. You know, let's say say you disagree with President Trump, you know, come out with a very well reasoned argument as to why he's wrong on X, Y, and Z issues. Yeah. I think if you push that as to this is why we are resisting President Trump, I think you'd have a much stronger ability to convince people as to why you're correct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean we have to use words and reason and not emotions. Come on guys, we know that. You know, just yeah. this is this is, this is just, you know, I, 
Anyway, I'll stop yeah. sermonizing, but yeah, you know, yeah, it's just you know, it's so bad because I love yeah. talking politics. And yeah. I love in, in, in the United States. It's difficult because yeah. you you run into these barriers. They're real. They're present. You hit them, and it's not clear on how to really dig people dig these things out. You know, and, and it's a pity, but I, I yeah. really hope we're going in yeah. the right direction. I, and I, I know, so. I think the administration with all these, the, sh- the shock doctrine, that's all that shock and awe, yeah. all that, yeah. those stars yeah. spangles, you know, and all, like, <laughs> I hope that's moving in the right, right direction. Yeah, you know? and I, I think that's, uh, it's The good. republic that we're intended to be. I, I would think so, you know, I hope, I hope we're contributing with this podcast and, you know, a lot of people are doing do the same as time. well. Yeah. <laughs> this is a new yeah. age, man. Yeah, exactly. This, this is how it should work. It's yeah. great. You yeah. just bypass the old progress. Forget about it. That's what we call growth. We're outgrowing the shell. <laughs> See yeah. you later, guys. It's going to be yeah. painful, you know, but it eventually will be. we'll be free. I would say so. I think with that, I think we should uh, should wrap it up. Thank you all for tuning in. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll, we'll be back uh, with episode two. Absolutely.